It's Christmas. It's the most wonderful time of the year. But why is Christmas at this time of year? Why do we celebrate Christmas on December 25th? Here are some very interesting facts few people know about. The birth of Jesus Christ was not celebrated that we know of until the 4th century after his birth. That means some 300 years took place before they started celebrating Christmas. We have nothing in Scripture that tells us to celebrate the birth of our Lord. Well, why December 25th, you say? Well, he must have been born that day. We have no idea when Jesus was born. Well, then why that day? We do know this. December 25th is the winter solstice on the Roman calendar. We use the Gregorian calendar, so we just had that day a few days ago, December 21st. What is the winter solstice? That's the shortest day of the year. That's what that is. It's the day with the least amount of sunshine. Roman paganism celebrated the birth of their sun god. Believe it or not, Mithra on that day. Because from that day on, the sun would grow stronger and stronger, and the days would go grow longer and longer. And you may say, well, why in the world would we celebrate Jesus' birthday on a pagan holiday? Because somewhere at some time, some Christians decided that while the pagan world is celebrating the birth of a sun god, we need to celebrate the birth of the true son of God. And that's why. Nothing like hijacking a pagan holiday for the glory of God. December 25th was picked with intentionality to combat paganism, to turn people from error to truth, to turn people from secular to that which is sacred. Interestingly enough, fast forward to our nation, the Puritans in the 1600s of this nation outlawed the celebration of Christmas. You may say, well, why would they do that, those Scrooges, those Grinches? Why? Because Christians had gotten so completely caught up in the secular aspect of Christmas celebrating that it had lost its sacred meaning. Can you believe that would happen? Can't imagine Christians would be caught up in the secular and forget about the sacred meaning of Christmas. See, back in Europe, Christmas had begun uh, to take on this week-long celebration of gluttony and drinking parties and drunkenness and sexual immorality and the singing of songs. (gasps) Singing of songs. What's wrong with singing songs? Well, they did it without clothes and the buff in the streets. So I was really glad to see the worship team tonight fully clothed, just to let you know. I'm going to have to keep the lights down. The world wants you to go back to the secular. God wants you to stay sacred. The world wants you to forget about what Christmas is all about. God wants you to remember what Christmas is really all about. There's no better way to do that than to let God tell us what it's all about. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25 is the text we're going to look at tonight. We'll have most of the scripture up on the screen if you didn't bring a copy of the scripture. Here at Harvest, we look into God's word. It's the textbook of life. If any time you ever come into our church and you've forgotten your Bible, we've got some extras on the back tables back there. You make sure you pick one up. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. 
And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away, what? Secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, I'm going to break your legs if you do that. No, it doesn't say that. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name what? Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to his son and he called his name, say it with me, Jesus. How do we restore Christmas? How do we keep it sacred and protect it from being secularized? Well, the first thing is this. If you're taking notes, number one, celebrate a birthday. Say it with me. Celebrate a birthday. I told my wife before I came here tonight, I, you know, at home, I said, man, honey, I'm, I'm just a little nervous. Christmas, Easter, you always get nervous, you know. It's, it's a big day, and everybody knows what you're preaching on. Man. So, so I said, and you know, what, you know what her quick response was? It's a birthday. It's a birthday. That's why we're here, to celebrate a birthday. And keep that sacred specialness. Christmas is not about Santa and reindeer and trees and tinsel and candles and wreaths. It's not about presents and lights. It's not about cookies and pies. It's not about music and movies, no matter how sentimental and gooey they are or how funny they are. Now, I I thought this was kind of funny. This is what Jesus would say. Y'all ready for my birthday? You ready for my birthday? That's what this day is all about. Now, yes, you can have your Christmas fun and traditions, but don't lose the focus. It's Jesus' birthday. Or like one Christian comedian would say, some people don't like it when you say Merry Christmas. That's why I use the phrase, Happy Birthday, Jesus. (laughs) Try that next time you're at Walmart or Home Depot. Celebrate a birthday. That's how you restore Christmas. Secondly, remember the romance. Say it with me. Remember the romance. It says in verse 18, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. You've got some sweet romance going on here. You've got this young, sweet, godly woman betrothed to Joseph. What does it mean to be betrothed? Well, the word betrothed is stronger than engagement. It's more binding than engagement. That's why in verse 19, Joseph is called her husband. They are married minus living together. They are married minus the physical consummation of sleeping together. And betrothal would last about a year. It would be about a year engagement which would end with a beautiful wedding ceremony and and the long-awaited and anticipated excitement of the consummation physically of that relationship in marriage. So this was an exciting time in Mary and Joseph's life. They're in love. They're looking forward to spending their years, the rest of their lives together, filled with their hopes and their dreams and aspirations and starting a family. This is Hallmark Channel stuff right here, people. Okay? So you celebrate a birthday. That's how you restore it. You remember the romance. Third, you consider the character. Oh, there is a deep, rich character in the Christmas story. 
Verse 19, Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, that's character, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Joseph is one incredible man of God. Mary gets so much attention. Don't bypass Joe. This guy's special. Now, what do we know about Joe? He's a faithful man. We know he's faithful. He's committed. He's called her husband. It means he's pledged his undying love to Mary. He's coveted to provide and protect her for the rest of her life, to be faithful to her till death do them part. He's a faithful man. He's a godly man. It says here being righteous. This is the present tense. This is his ongoing way of life. He is a man of God. He's a, he's a man of outstanding reputation and integrity and high moral standards, committed to right living. He's committed to godly living. He's walking with God and living according to the word of God. He's a faithful man. He's a godly man. He's a hurting man. There's a lot of pain in his life. He's grieving. His dreams have just died. I mean, these dreams of a wonderful marriage and these dreams of walking through life together and these dreams of raising a family and laughter of children in their home and these dreams of growing old together with the woman that he loves, the knife of betrayal has just been, just been completely plunged into his heart. You have to understand this. As far as he knows, he has been cheated on, lied to, taken advantage of, and he's been betrayed by this woman. He's a hurting man. And in the midst of his hurt, I want you to notice he is a gracious man. He's not wanting to disgrace her. He's planning to send her away secretly. There is a very important lesson for you and I to learn here. We are to be gracious no matter how bad they have hurt us. You and I are to be gracious to that person, no matter how bad they have hurt us. We are to be kind, no matter the pain they have caused us. This is the high moral character of Joseph. Gracious in the midst of incredible hurt. Kind in the midst of this inflicted pain. He shows dignity instead of disgrace. He's not going to make a scene and raise his voice and get even and make her pay. He's not calling for the full extent of the law to be lowered against her, by the way, which was death. They would be stoned to death for adultery in the Old Testament. That was the law. I want you to understand something, guys. If this man can treat his supposed unfaithful fiancé this way, how should you and I be treating our wives of many years, years, who've been faithful to us. Husbands, stop being harsh on your wives. Stop the harsh words. Stop the harsh actions. Don't be disgraceful. Be a man of dignity and grace. Cherish your wife. Treat her with tender love and gentleness, even when she ticks you off, which she will at times. And you'll do the same to her, by the way. It's called live with grace and live with dignity.
First Peter will tell us to live with our wives in an understanding way and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. That's how I'm supposed to live. That's how you are supposed to live, men. He shows dignity instead of disgrace. He's private instead of going public. He plans to send her away secretly. In other words, this means he's going to break off the engagement, call off the wedding, and he's going to let her leave quietly, drift away, never come back. Notice here, there's no gossip. There's no posting on social media. There's no public shame, no humiliation, no revenge, no rubbing her supposed sin in her face. There's no joy in hurting other people who have hurt you. Don't go that direction. All you can do is say, wow, Joe is some incredible man of God. Yeah, I would say. He's faithful, he's godly, he's gracious, he's a man of character. And you know what? God picked a great stepdad for his son. God picked some incredible stepdad to raise the savior of the world. That's restoring Christmas. You consider the character. Next, you admire the angel. Verse 20. When he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joe, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Now, angels are very prevalent in the Christmas story. The angel Gabriel appeared to Mary. This angel, possibly Gabriel, we're not given the name, appears to Joseph in his dream. Uh, The angel appears to the shepherds in the field, and then there's a multitude of the heavenly host angels to the shepherds in the field. There there is a big difference, though, listen, between biblical angels and those seen in pictures, movies, and paintings. These are not angels. They are naked kids with wings painted on them. (laughs) Sitting on it looks like a cloud. Those are not biblical angels. This is not an angel. Some fair-skinned maiden, you know, with, with you know, feminine angel. There, there, it's not an angel. Angels described in the Bible, listen, drop people to their knees in fear. They are angelic warriors that can drop 100,000 men, kill them in an instant. I mean, you need to understand biblical angels. They can take on the disguise as humans, but they're always men in the Bible. Never women. Understand that, and always given masculine names as well. What we have here is we have an angelic intervention. An angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream, saying, So you got this angel entering Joseph's dreams. Not so fast, buddy. You don't know the whole story. Hold on a second. Things are not as they seem. Don't you wish every time you were about to make a dumb decision, an angel would show up and correct you? The problem is most of us would keep them very, very busy. But anyway, intervention, and then you have communication. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. He addresses Joseph by name. Joseph, personal. And then he addresses his lineage. He says, son of David. So it's a title of dignity and a title of ancestry. And it's a title of royalty. He is reminding Joseph that the blood of kings runs through his veins. He is an ancestor of the nation's greatest king, King David. And then he addresses his emotions. Do not be afraid. In other words, Mary, Mary. Mary, Mary. How do you restore Christmas? You feel the fear. And this man is afraid. 
He says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Joseph fears. What does he fear? You can only imagine. He fears the disappointment that his parents are going to have. You got her pregnant. He fears the disappointment his in-laws are going to have. How dare you? He fears his reputation being ruined with sexual sin and ostracized by the religious community when he walks into church. What are people going to say with his pregnant, you know, fiancé? And the town gossips and maybe losing his job. And this angel is going to calm Joseph. How does he calm him with the truth? Listen carefully. The truth has a beautiful way of calming us. Calming us. Nothing calms fears like the truth. Truth instead of presumption. Truth, in, it, it clears up speculation. Well, we think this, we might be that. Truth in place of our minds running wild. Some of you have minds. You're not sure what's going to happen with your finances, and you're not sure about your health, and you're not sure about this relationship, and you're scared to death, but you don't know the truth. You, you don't know what the facts are, and so your mind is just going. Calm down. Wait for the facts. Find out the truth. Now, sometimes the truth can be exciting and sometimes the truth can be frightening. I I want you to understand the Christmas story is about overcoming fears and doing what's right. Part of the Christmas story is overcoming your fear and doing what is right. That's what Mary has to do. That's what Joseph has to do. And maybe that's what you need to do in your life. To do what is right in the eyes of God. Regardless of what anybody else thinks. Regardless of how anybody else feels. What is right in the eyes of God according to the word of God. According to the will of God. Here's another truth. Following God's will can be very scary. And following God's will can be very radically life-changing. Joseph's life is about to change forever. This was not in his plan. This was not how life was supposed to go. He was going to get married and work and raise a family and live happily ever after. All of a sudden, everything is thrown out the window, and now his life is totally changed. You know what we learn here? That God can invade our little worlds anytime he wants. God can change our plans anytime he desires. God can turn our nice, neat, tidy little worlds upside down. And by the way, he doesn't have to ask you and I permission, and he never asks to ask permission. You let God do with your life as God wants to do with your life, whether you like it or not. Why? Because his plans are always bigger and better. Do not fight the plans of God. Joseph and Mary are not going to fight the plans of God. Some of you are fighting the plans of God. You can't win when you fight the plans of God. Submit to his will. Follow his word. Do as he says. So much bigger. So much grander. So much better. How do you restore Christmas? You feel the fear. How do you restore Christmas? You marvel at the mystery. Say that with me. Marvel at the mystery. It's mentioned twice. Verse 18 and then verse 20. She was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Verse 20. The child who has been conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit. And so this is truly an immaculate conception. A Holy Spirit conception. 
Same thing was told Mary in Luke chapter 1. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. This is beyond comprehension. Take this in. God, the Holy Spirit, will impregnate you. Now, now get this. This is not scandalous. This is miraculous. This, this is a holy act of God. This is a spiritual act of God. And you may say, well, why the Holy Spirit and not Joseph? Why of God and not of man? Listen, this is so very important. This is why. I am a man. I would need a substitute for my sin that was human, who must also be a man. I am sinful. I would need a sacrifice for my sin that must be holy without sin. So a substitute and a sacrifice because I am sinful would need to be holy and yet be human. So in other words, God himself had to take my place and die for my sins. God himself had to take your place and die for your sins. That's who Jesus is. He is God who came to rescue you. He is God who was born for you. He is holy and yet he is human. He is our substitute. He is our sacrifice. That's who he is. He is the only one who could take our place. Fully God and fully man. I love this cartoon by Gary Varvel, chief cartoonist of the Indianapolis Star, committed believer. Unto you is born a Savior. And the picture of Christ as a baby and the picture of Christ with the crowns. He is God who was born to die for you. How do you restore Christmas? You marvel at this mystery and you see your salvation. Look at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. Verse 29 or 21. You will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. His name is Jesus. It's the Hebrew Joshua. It means Jehovah will save. God saves. That's what Jesus means. God saves. Christ refers to his title or position, the anointed one, the promised Messiah. You shall call him Jesus. Now, don't miss this. You, Joseph, me? Yeah, you. You're going to call him Jesus. Not some army of angels proclaiming his name? Nope. Not God the Father thundering his name in the sky? Nope. The privilege and honor shall be yours. And so, Jesus is spoken by Joseph, possibly cradling God in his arms and whispering in his ear, you are Jesus. Eight days later, at his circumcision, when Hebrew males were circumcised, they were given the name. Luke 2, 21 Eight days passed before his circumcision. His name was then called what? Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And and verse 25 tells us that Joseph followed through. 
He kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Joe Jr. No, he didn't. He called his name Jesus. Now, he lives up to his name. He will save his people from their sin. Now, don't miss this. Jesus will save. Not you. You can't save you from your sins. I can't save me from my sins. Jesus will save you from your sins. It's not your church membership that gets you into heaven, friend. It's not your baptism that gets you into heaven. It's not you coming to church twice a year at Christmas and Easter. God, I plugged it in, see? It's not going to get you to heaven. Jesus has to save you. You have to call on Jesus to be your Savior. You have to humble yourself before your God and realize you need him. And ask him to save you. Of all the sin, all the junk in your life, all the places you've gone, all the things you've said, all the wicked acts that you've taken place in, that God already knows about and he still loves you. You've got to call on Jesus. Acts 4.12 There is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be what? Saved. Only Jesus can save you. Friend, you're not going to heaven unless you call on Jesus. You're not going there. He is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, said Jesus. Because he is God who became a man to die on the cross to save you call out to him. He saves from sin. I want you to understand your greatest problem is not your finances. Your greatest problem is not your marriage. Your greatest problem is not your health. Your greatest problem is your sin. Everything else is inconsequential. This is the true meaning of Christmas. Salvation from sin. Listen closely to the songs we sing and hear at Christmas. We sing of sin all the time. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners, what? Reconciled. Born to set thy people free from our fears and sins. Release us. Let us find our rest in thee. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of what? Sin. Where meek souls will receive him. Still, the the dear Christ, what? Enters in. That's being born again. That's being saved. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend on us, we pray. Cast out our what? Sin and enter in. Be born in us today. No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found, the curse of sin. We sing of sin. We sing of salvation at Christmas all the time. Mild he lays his glory by, born that men no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth. Say it with me. Born to give them second birth. I came to faith when I was 17 years old. I called on God and I was born again. Let him save you. That hath made heaven and earth of naught and with his blood mankind hath bought the first Noel. Now ye need not fear the grave. Peace, peace. Jesus Christ was born to save. Calls you one and calls you all to gain his everlasting hall. Christ was born to what? Save. Christ was born to save. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. 
down in a lonely manger. The humble Christ was born and brought us God's salvation that blessed Christmas morn. Go tell it where. Go tell it on the mountain and over the hills and everywhere. See your salvation. Ponder the prophecy. Look at verse 22. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. This was prophesied 700 years ago. 700 years before Jesus was born. The prophecy of Isaiah. 2,700 years before now. Isaiah 7, 14, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child, bear a son. You'll call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah 9, 6, a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. Jesus is the culmination, the completion, the fulfillment of divine prophecy. In God's perfect time, Galatians 4, 4, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those, purchase those back from their sin who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. You can become a child of God. Not everyone is a child of God. Everyone is a creation of God. Some of you here are not children of God. You think because you go into a church, you're a Christian. I could walk in your garage and say I'm a Ford Explorer. Just because I go in your garage and say I'm a car, I'm not a car. Just because you come in the doors of a church, you're not a Christian. You have got to ask God to save you. And he will adopt you as his own child. As someone has said, he became a son of man that we might become sons of God. Jesus became a son of men that we might become sons of God. That is the Christmas story. Ponder the prophecy. And delight in deity, verse 23. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means what? God with us. God is with us. God is among us. God became one of us. John so captures these ins- with these inspired words, these thoughts. John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father. Full of grace and truth. Jesus became flesh, and he is full of grace toward us. And full of the truth in a world filled with lies. John 1, 1 through 2. 1 John 1, 1 through 2. What was from the beginning, what we've heard, what we've seen with our eyes, what we've looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested. That's God becoming a man. And we've seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was from the Father and was manifested to us. God in real flesh and blood. This all-knowing, everywhere present, all-powerful, creator God became a human infant. That is the doctrine of incarnation. C.S. Lewis, once in our world, a stable had something in it that was bigger than our whole world. Wrap your head around that statement. Once in our world, a stable had something in it that was bigger than our whole world. God 
in all of his glory, embodied in a baby. That's Christmas. The kenosis passage, the incarnation passage of Philippians 2. Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, God became a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God taking on flesh and bones and skin and hair and toenails and fingernails and eye color and blood type travels through a birth canal entering into this world filling his lungs with air that he's created for the very first time in all of eternity God takes a breath truly we sing what child is this what child is this and lastly observe the obedience joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the lord commanded and took mary as his wife but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and called his name what jesus look at joseph again we saw what a man of character is i I want you to see the obedience it's immediate obedience no questioning No procrastinating. He doesn't ask the angel, hey, can I have a little more time to think about this? He he does it. Just like Mary in her response to Gabriel. Luke 1, 38. Behold, your bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. Wow. You have Joseph and you have Mary. You have this incredible, godly, young couple. So committed to the glory of God and and obedience to him. You know what they teach us? You know what would be the perfect gift to God at Christmas? Your obedience. Where are you not obeying God right now? Where is there known sin in your life? Have you ever thought about getting God a gift at Christmas? Think about your spouse, think about your kids, think about your parents, think about your friends. It's his birthday. What are you going to get God for Christmas? Maybe it should be our obedience. God, I'm finally going to give up this. God, I'm finally going to do what you know, what I know you've been wanting me to do. God, I'm going to follow your word. I'm tired of playing the religious game of coming to church and living in sin all week long. I'm tired of being a hypocrite, God. I am going to obey you. You are worthy of my obedience. Give God the gift of your obedience. Stop playing games with him. He is worthy of your obedience. It's immediate obedience. It's committed obedience. He took her as his wife. What a blessed encouragement to Mary. I I mean, I want you to think about this if you're Mary. Joseph believes me. Joseph supports me. Joseph will protect me and love me. Joseph is going to care for me. Do you know what obedience is? It's an inspiration and an encouragement to everybody around you. Your, Your obedience is an encouragement to your family. 
Your obedience is an inspiration to your family and friends. Disobedience is a discouragement. Be a blessing to not only God, but to the people around you with your obedience. This is exactly what a woman needs from her man, and she gets it. A strong arm of support and a shoulder to lean on. Immediate obedience, committed obedience, it's also sexual obedience. We know Mary has remained a virgin. She's pure, she's chaste. Listen up, young ladies. Save yourself for your wedding night. That's not what the world's going to tell you. It's not what movies are going to tell you. It's not what the magazines are going to say or the internet. It's what God is going to tell you. Give your purity as a special gift to your husband on your wedding night. Now, some of you here have not done that. There is forgiveness. And there is grace. Isn't God good? You come to God and you find forgiveness and grace and you live from here on out in purity. But I want you to understand there's also a powerful privilege for those who remain pure. And Mary and Joseph found that privilege. Don't sacrifice the privileges that come with purity. Don't sacrifice them. Mary was pure. Joseph exercises sexual self-control. I mean, I want you to think about Joseph. It says here he kept her a virgin, okay, until she gave birth to a son. But he married her. So think about this, guys, on your wedding night to the beautiful young woman of your dreams. No consummation. Nine months go by, baby. This is a man who can practice sexual self-control. You know what we need in this nation and in the church? Men who know how to control themselves sexually. This world is filled with sexual perverts. This, This nation is filled with people, men who can't control themselves. There's so much pornography out there and so much sexual sin out there. Men, shine for Jesus. Control yourselves sexually for the glory of Almighty God. That's what we see in the Christmas story. Listen up, young people. Wait on God's timing. Listen up, men. Save yourself for that special someone. Remain pure till your wedding night. And don't you worry about the world mocking you as a virgin. God will be praising you, and so will that special woman. You save yourself. That's part of the Christmas story. How do you restore Christmas? Say it with me. You celebrate a birthday. You remember the romance. You consider the character. You admire the angel. You feel the fear. You marvel at the mystery. You see your salvation. You ponder the prophecy. You delight in deity. And you observe the obedience. Let's pray. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. For you who are here tonight and you already know Jesus as your Savior, just make those commitments that you need to make. What changes need to happen in your life? What areas of obedience? What areas of character? Maybe you just need to worship God. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You may be here tonight, and honestly, you don't go to church very much, but God has gotten a hold of you tonight. 
and you've heard things here tonight you've never heard. And God has opened up your eyes and he's opened up your heart and you realize your need of God in your life. And you may say, Scott, that's me. I, I know there's a God. I know he, he sees my life and it's not what it should be. What do I do? In the humility of your heart right now, let Jesus save you. He came to save you from your sins. Just call out to him. Use words like these in the quietness of your heart. Just use words like these. Lord Jesus, I need you. Please save me from all my sin. Thank you for being born for me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for loving me in spite of all my sin. I repent. I turn from my sin. And I turn to you, Lord. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I can't save myself. Only you can save me. Please save me, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.